When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Vidi Pasquantino. Pasqua means Easter in Italian. Hello, everyone, and welcome. It's time for everyone's most favorite podcast of the week. It's under the radar. Okay, sorry. I tried. I tried to do the Nando <laughs> thing, Ian. I, I can't do it. You did way better than I thought you were even going to get. Cl- I didn't think you were even going to dare. I just went for it last minute. Good move. <laughs> Good move. I'm glad you did. Joining today, your friend and mine. Ian Khan. Hello, my friend. Yeah, see, it's just not a natural thing. My friend for me. and yours, Derek Van Riper. Hey, guys. Of course, we're <laughs> presented by Tops and Tops Project 70. Be sure to check that out. Lots of awesome cards launching each and every day. Of course, Nando is not here, despite our meager efforts to recreate the sound of his voice here in the first few minutes. He should be back with us next week. But on this episode, lots to talk about. We're going to dig into where we think some pitchers might be going in 2022 drafts in the wake of Sandy Alcantara pitching extremely well on the stretch. You Darvish kind of falling apart. You know, Matt Scherzer hitting the 3,000K milestone. And uh, we're going to revisit a trade that Ian and I made a few years ago and kind of wonder what if. All right. Yeah, yeah. I I think it would have worked out better for both of us than we might have thought at the time. Worked out longer for both of us. Um, Uh We'll get into that. We'll talk about some late season pitchers that have caught our eye and a few other things that have been on Ian's mind as well as we roll along. But let's begin with Sandy Alcantara, right? He is just cruising in the second half of the season. And I think every time I see someone pitching really well for a stretch of 8 or 10 or 12 starts, I pull back and say, what does the whole season look like? And the whole season for Alcantara is better than anything we've seen from him in the big league so far. A 24.3% K rate, easily the highest of the Uh, two full seasons that he's had in the big leagues. The walk rate is better than ever. He's getting a lot of swinging strikes. He's in a park that helps suppress home runs, but he's never really had that much of a home run issue anyway. He's really ticking a ton of boxes, and I think you probably could argue him probably into the top 10 to 15 range among starting pitchers if you're a complete buyer on what he's been doing here in the second half. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I actually put him on our rundown yesterday afternoon before his start last night because it was his 14 strikeout performance that kind of really grabbed my attention um and uh and then our friend eric cross put out a list this morning anyway is it al i thought it was alcantara that one i feel like i get crossed up because okay it's not always pronounced the same way sometimes there's an accent and sometimes there's not so let me let me dig into that while you talk about what has caught your eye with him on the mound. Well, you know, what caught my eye, James Anderson, ding, years ago, I remember two years ago, when he uh, started saying to me, Sandy Alcantara, man, Sandy Alcantara, I was like, really? The the, the Miami kid, the Florida kid? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm telling you, he's going to be great. So I started getting him in Dynasty Leagues and just, like, paying for him. And people are like, you want him? You can, all right, give me this and I'll give you. And so I ended up getting him in a number of leagues. He's been just fantastic, as you pointed out, except for two starts. He's been amazing. But, you know, so Eric Cross, our friend over at Fantrax, 
put out his top 15 for next year, this morning, right? So he's got Cole, Burns, Scherzer, Bueller, DeGrom, Woodruff, Bieber, Wheeler, Giolito, I'm not sure about that anymore, Alcantara, Lynn, Kershaw, Peralta, Rodon, Urias. So it just, it's sort of like, oh, all right, are we really, is he now a a third round pick? Because I don't think so. I'm not going that high on him. Like, it's one of those things that when you get somebody for a bargain, you don't really want to pay for him later. That's that's my problem. It's like, well, no, he cost that. And, you know, I'm not sure I want to pay the extra money right now. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that's, I think it's pretty high. I think 10 is pretty high. And below that is Ray, Gossman, Musgrove, Logan Webb, which I'm kind of buying all over the place now. Darvish, McCullers, Flaherty, and Trevor Rogers. Where are you with that? It is El Contra, based on the pronunciation guide, just for our own sanity. Golly. Alcantara? Alcantara. Well, then why is the extra A after the T? Because that would be Alcantara. It's Alcantara is how it looks. But okay, Alcantara, I'll take the the L on that one. Yeah, Alcantara. Okay. Yeah, fun, isn't it? (laughs) I think... I agree with the premise here that if you if you were on a player at the discounted price in the current year and then the price shoots up a lot, regardless of whether it's 50 picks or 100 picks, it's always harder to buy in at the new and inflated price tag. There's yes. something just in your head about that. You're like, no, no, no. This doesn't I got work. Cedric Mullins for $3 this year. I'm not paying $29 for him next year. Right. If Cedric Mullins is a top 15 player in drafts, you're probably <laughs> less likely to have him if you had him for the breakout than if you didn't. And maybe it's yes. a little bit of FOMO of trying to buy in and, and recency bias obviously plays a role. Um, but I do think trying to get past all that, I, I don't think Mullins has a massive crash coming. I think he actually could deserve being in the top 15. Anyway, back to Alcantara. I'm kind of more like back at the top 20 for him. And yeah. I think the field yeah. is leaning a little higher because he's young too, right? I mean, Eric Cross, mm-hmm. that's dynasty rankings. Like, I don't think dynasty rankings. No, that wasn't dynasty. Change. That that's wasn't dynasty. dynasty. No, 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 sir. Sorry. I should have made that clear. Because that was I saw a 2022 too. SP ADP. Okay. That's how, that's, that's what that is. I should have been more clear about that. Oh, okay. And I, I thought I see, I saw a list from him of maybe three or four days ago over the weekend. It was a dynasty pitching list, but I don't think dynasty pitching lists and redraft pitching lists are as different as the hitting versions of those two lists because yeah, pitchers were right. always worried about injuries, right? And we're always going to ding really old pitchers on a list like that. But I don't know. I, I think there's this other kind of lingering thing that I wanted to bring up on today's show where maybe we've overlooked the possibility that you know with all the new tech that pitchers have been using in recent years, uh, changes to the way players train in general, Maybe we're going to have a few more of these outliers like Scherzer, like Verlander before he got hurt. I mean, late career Verlander was much better than the Verlander we expected him to be five years ago, right? When he was dealing with the core muscle injury in Detroit, I don't think anybody saw his late career surge coming. I think if he went back two or three years ago, was Max Scherzer in our minds going to be as good as he is today? He's got the best ratios of his career right now. Yeah. Nobody was expecting that. We made a trade in RDI, rest in peace. The mm-hmm. Rotowire Dynasty Invitational. Mm-hmm. And Max Scherzer went to you and James Anderson. Shohei Otani came back Aaron to Hicks. me. And Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks. Yeah. And I think Oscar Mercado were also in that deal, if I remember the secondaries. But at least Aaron Hicks went to you guys, too. Yep. And I think at the time, it was probably you guys were on the brink of winning. Scherzer could easily put you over the top. 
Yeah. And your expectation then was the year you traded for him, maybe the next year he'd be great, and then there'd be some sort of decline. Because that's what happens when you get to your late 30s. You usually decline. Scherzer's not declining. And I'm just wondering if he's going to continually be underestimated at this stage of his career until either the massive injury like Verlander or until he decides, yeah, I'm 42 and I'm just done pitching now. Which, I, I don't know. Like I, I just wonder if there's a chance that he ages even better than we expect for these next couple of seasons. Maybe it's a fallacy because this year is going so well. But he's showing so few signs of slowing down that it's really hard to bet against him. It's weird. And the reason I put him down on the rundown was watching his start. He was throwing a perfect game. A perfect game in his 3,000 strikeout game. I said to my wife, I said, if he throws a perfect game in his 3,000 strikeout game, it may be considered the greatest game ever pitched. Because it's insane that somebody could be in the league for this long and be consistently this dominant. It's just, I mean, Scherzer is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer at this point, is he not? No doubt. Yeah. I mean, he he's a, he's, it was, it was funny too watching, <coughs> excuse me, watching Clayton Kershaw watch him when he got his 3,000. He, he looked happy for him, but a little bit like jealous too. Like maybe I'm not the best pitcher on my team for the first time mm-hmm. in, in my career. Um, although Walker Bueller might be the best, uh, might be better than Kershaw at this point. Uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's strange. And, and the Rabbi Ari Sunshine and I are going back and forth. Robert Mershak and I are going up against Ari. And I think it's going to, I think we're going to win largely due to Max Scherzer. And we traded for Max Scherzer from Rabbi Ari Sunshine last year. We gave him a package of players because we were trying to lock in the win against Cushing, which we were able to do with Scherzer's help, though he did struggle at the end of last season. And and it's just this always this weird feeling as a dynasty player when you have Max Scherzer on your roster. It's very similar to Nelson Cruz, or and I think that's what I would relate it to. It's like you know when are we gonna when are we gonna stop paying for Nelson Cruz? Well, we're not until he, he until he does something to change what we see. I mean Scherzer's like the Nolan, he's a modern day Nolan Ryan. I think that's with better command. I mean that's the only thing you could say is that he he might keep going till. 43, 44, 45 at this point. Because right now he's, if we look at the the rankings, he's going to be 37 going into 38 next year. And right now you've got Cole, Burns, based on Eric's list, Cole, Burns, and Scherzer as the number three pitcher in baseball. Now, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. When, when does it stop? That's the amazing thing. Just kind of thinking about history for a moment. Nolan Ryan, you look back at some of the numbers he was putting up at the end of his career. Nolan Ryan was better in his late 30s and 40s than he was for most of his career in some ways. Certainly than, than his early 20s, yeah. I, I I remember that baseball card. I used to look at that baseball card when I was a kid. And just 382 strike 382 strikeouts, I think, was like 1976. And then 383 was 1987, 77. I mean, he was just dominant in that late 70s, early 80s into, you know, but then continued doing it all the way till he started punching Robin Ventura in the head. <laughs> that's such an iconic moment too for yeah. a guy that had plenty of other grandpa. iconic moments on the Dude. field but Scherzer he's 37 right now I'm with you like if, if you told me yeah he's going to pitch until he's 44 I'm not betting against that and he's probably no, going to be so. good for most of that time and I mean, that's, that's the seven more years yeah, the Dodgers are going to re-sign him for three years 
$110 million. Every team that needs pitching, which is basically every team willing to spend any reasonable amount of money, is going to be interested in Max Scherzer, and for good reason. Even if he's the highest pitcher, highest paid pitcher in the league based on AAV, worth it. And you would take that extra risk for a pitcher his age, given what we're seeing. He's breaking the aging curve. Some guys do that, and I think he's just yeah. clearly an outlier. The Nolan Ryan comp is just really interesting. A modern-day Nolan Ryan. I think that's exactly what we could be looking at with Scherzer. But he's better because he doesn't... I mean, Ryan struggled with walks always. And what what is Scherzer's walk rate at this point? Uh, I mean, it's got to be... It's 5.3% this year. And for his career, it's only 6.6%. And how good is that? Really good, historically. And I think if you looked at Nolan Ryan, 12.4% for his career. So that's... I mean, and that is a major difference. I mean, Scherzer is the sixth-ranked player right now. I mean, the idea that he was flirting with a perfect game against San Diego when he's getting his three, it's it's just unimaginably good. He's unimaginably good. That's why I put the exclamation mark in there. This is before we found out that uh, Nando wasn't doing the show, so I was 90% sure that he was going to go, well, Max Scherzer's got an exclamation mark. Behind his name. Oh, okay, and now I guess we'll talk about him. You know, but uh he he's really he's really special. And then you have Adam Wayne right in here, and he's been phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal. I think with Wainwright, I had completely given up on the possibility of him being even more than like a home streamer or a two start week sort of guy. And he's not in the same tier as Scherzer, not even close because nobody is, but He's just a more effective innings eater than I would have expected. Like if you've rostered Wainwright throughout this season, you've been rewarded in every category except for strikeouts. And because he throws so many innings, he's not hurting you in that category. He's good across the board, getting you wins too, which if you look at the standings in all your rotisserie yes. leagues, wins are clustered up like crazy. Oh and not surprisingly, the Cardinals are creeping right back into the playoff mix. Same pace really as the Padres right now. I mean, we could see the Cardinals playing well into October again, which three weeks ago looked like it was a, a total pipe dream. So Wainwright's a big part of that. And I just, I think he's another reason that I'm, I'm reconsidering how pitchers age. Like if you make it past 34, 35 as a big league pitcher, if you're still hanging around. You're clearly cut from a dif- different sort of cloth. And the usual rules that we apply to pitchers probably don't apply quite the same way to that group. Well, Jay Happ would fall into that category. Would you throw him into that category? Because he's like on the verge of 38, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I think he belongs there in some ways. And the results this year have been miserable. A 6 ERA, a 150 whip. But even a year ago, 347, 105. I think everybody wanted to bet against him. So, I, I mean, the Wainwright peak obviously was much better than Happ. So they kind of came from different places. But yeah, guys that hang around this long, they're there for a reason. And we talk about that. We've talked about that a lot. The guys who come up, it's, it, I go back to pedigree all the time. Scherzer was a top 10 draft pick for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, and it took him a number of years to sort of find his way. Took the trade to Detroit, then settles in Detroit, s- struggles his first year, and then sort of picks it up and starts to become the Max Scherzer that he is now, which is to be called probably the best free agent signing of the last 20 years what he's done with the Nationals. That money has fully been paid off. I mean, if you compare that free agent contract to Patrick Corbin's free agent contract, I mean, Scherzer has paid off every little inch of it. Um, and so, you know, he, he's he been he's been absolutely phenomenal. To go back to Al- Alcantara, 
Sandy Alcantara, the one concern I have about him, I don't know how good the Marlins are going to be next year. And I think you're going to suffer in wins to a certain extent. And that's why I wouldn't put him as a top 10 pitcher. I would take Lance Lynn ahead of Alcantara uh, because of the team. But, I mean, who would you take? Would you take Alcantara or would you take Kershaw next year? Making the decision right now, kind of a, a snap call, my mind says Kershaw. But I think that's about the appropriate range. They're in the same tier. It's a yeah. totally fair question. How about you? Uh, yeah, fair question. You know, I think I would take Kershaw just because I like having Kershaw on my team so much. But one guy who was on this list that I'm not keen on is Shane Bieber hmm. at number seven. Where do you have Bieber going into next year? For now, because of the uncertainty with his health, he won't be a top 10 pitcher for me. But if he goes through, see, this is where I wonder, how much does it matter? If he gets back and even throws 10 innings, yeah. and it, it could be over two or three starts. I don't care how many starts it is. If he comes back and shows us he's healthy and the velo is good, how much does that ease your concerns about a Bieber lot. or any pitcher Tons. going Tons. into the next season? DeGrom I mean, would be in the same situation. If DeGrom comes back and throws a few innings, that kind of helps ease some of the concerns, if not all of them. Yes. Okay. I, I, feel, I feel very much the same way about that. It was part of why I picked up in, in our XFL league that we play together in. Um, you dropped Syndergaard. Yeah, he was expensive, though. He was $16. And uh, Steve and I picked him up in that following one. And the idea behind it was if he comes back and just pitches one time, one time, then you could make an argument that he's worth $21 for the next season. But he's not going to do that. And he's not going to be worth that $21. And he's not worth one of the keeper slots in that league because of that. But it, it is that, like, you know, I keep wondering, like, why is Jacob DeGrom even going to come back? Because the Mets aren't going to make the playoffs. They're just not. I mean, I, I, Living here in New York, it just does not feel like they, they would have to go on a tear unlike anything that they've shown. I mean, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, I, I, I wouldn't I, I would save Bieber if I were the Indians. I would save him. I think that makes more sense in their case. I think the DeGrom situation is a little bit different because he has an opt out after 2022. And even though he's younger in terms of workload than the typical 33 year old pitcher. He wants to hit that opt-out. He wants to get that $200 million deal by coming back, showing everybody my arm is fine, and pitching at the elite of the elite level that he's been showing us, right? So there's right. a pretty big financial incentive for him. Now, if he blows out his arm in pursuit of being able to opt-out and get that longer deal, he's still getting paid enough right now where he's fine. He's, he's in the set-for-life phase. He got paid once. Yeah. But he's probably he, trying to get paid twice, as he should. A anyone in that situation would do that. So I think the incentive for DeGrom is a little bit different. I think with Bieber, we, we know Cleveland's going to slow play it with him as much as they can, right? He doesn't become a free agent until after the 2024 season. So he needs to just stay healthy to mm -hmm. get to free agency and max out his year-to-year -year value. I, I think with Bieber, Again, if he pitches before the end of the season, maybe he cracks my top 10. But if he doesn't, I'd be stunned if he was inside my top 10, maybe even the top 15 going into the next season, which is not a question of skills whatsoever, but it's a major red flag for health because it's a shoulder. I was looking over the, my TGFBI team, which is like, you know, and it's in fourth, fifth place, around 100 points overall in the top 70, I think, somewhere around there. So it's decent. It's a decent team. But our pitching has just been decimated, right? Tyler Glass now was a major first pick. Um, 
Lucas Giolito has, has certainly struggled. And I look at that grouping, and from the original draft, I have exactly one pitcher hmm. that was on the team. One? I, one. Wow. One pitcher. I'm going to I'm gonna pull, pull up the team here. This is a team that I work with Robert uh, Mershak. 101 points, and we've got 46 points in pitching and 55 points in hitting. Um, Jeff Erickson's ahead of us at 106, Corbin Scott, Joe Lowry, and Ariel Cohen, all ahead of us. Ariel right now in first place. I'm sure he would have a lot to say about that. Um, but we're not going to give him the time today. Sorry, Ariel. <laughs> but so this is our rotation this week. Giolito, Barlow, who's a pickup, Lu- Luis Hill, pickup, Wainwright, pickup, M- Michael Givens, pickup, Ranger Suarez, pickup, Tanner Hook, pickup. Nestor Cortez Jr. pickup, Joe Ryan pickup. It's a little more turnover than you would hope for, to put oh, it mildly. Yeah. No, no, no. But, but, but I think what, what it says to me, and, and the hitters, Sanchez was drafted, Zunino pickup, Walsh drafted, Lowry pickup, uh, Baez drafted, Candelario drafted, Buxton drafted, Eloy pickup, actually, Adelise pickup, Christian Yelich drafted, Brandon Marsh pickup. Anthony Rizzo drafted, Tim Anderson drafted, and Shohei Otani drafted. It's a lot harder to find bats on the wire than it is to find pitchers. It made me think back to the old days when, if you remember, I remember when I first started playing, if you took a pitcher in the first round of a draft, it was like, it was it was severely frowned upon. Oh, you were a fish. Yeah, you were a fish. You were a guppy. Now you've got the two aces, you know, ideas but you can find pitching on i mean wainwright we i I think i drafted wainwright then dropped wainwright then got wainwright back okay like seriously but like nestor cortez hook ranger suarez michael Givens. i mean joe ryan these guys are not none of them were drafted and yet they're all decent they're not great but they're good and it just makes me think that maybe there's something to the old theory, I'm not sure, I'm just, for redraft only, that there's something to not going crazy, using your drafts on the hitters. What are, what are your thoughts on that, TBR? I don't think one strategy is inherently better than the other. And I do think a lot of where the pocket aces came from and, and the NFBC and having the overall contest and having a different build is really important in those formats, aside from the potential value you get if you do hit on the two aces. You have to think of overall leagues, and TGFBI is one of these two, or the Rotowire Online Championship, or anything where it's not just your league. It's other leagues like yours playing for an overall prize. A unique build also helps, right? If you have good players and it's a unique build of good players, you have a better chance of winning. It's the exact same if you play DFS and you're playing a tournament, you want to have you know a lower percentage group of players that goes off that's how you win tournaments in a very very simplistic way so i think like if i look back at the teams in my tgfbi league the team that went cole scherzer first one two okay that's fine there's nothing wrong with that strategy what'd you do with your bats Corey seager in the third got hurt vlad jr in the fourth crush pick aaron judge in the fifth crush pick mancata in the sixth that's a miss Zach Plesak in the seventh, didn't need another pitcher there, didn't work out, not criticizing whoever did it. Clearly, it just it wasn't a, a good value pick relative to slot. Jansen in the eighth, fine. Victor Robles in the ninth, bad pick. I made that one myself a few places. 
Alex Verdugo in the 10th, that's fine. But clearly that team didn't have enough offense, right? Nick Magical in the 12th got hurt. Lily Tavares in the 13th got sent down. Mm-hmm. If you look at a board like that and you look at players that were available, some possible coin flip sorts of decisions, if that manager had taken Austin Riley in the 13th instead of Lily Tavares, which is kind of an unrealistic thing because you took Tavares for speed and Riley gives you power. But let's just say that you made that pick instead and then coming back in 14, you were getting your speed and you went with someone like even Rymel Tapia, right? You're better off just with those couple decisions. It doesn't mean that the pitcher-pitcher didn't work. It just means that the hitters that you took didn't come through. Like you made a series of decisions that as a group didn't quite work out. So I think it really depends on where you're at in the draft order, the type of league that you're in, and I think you have to be able to play both ways. I think that's the the mm-hmm. bigger takeaway. Yeah, like, I think know, that's I, right. I think some people go in and say, I'm getting two aces no matter what. The no matter what thing is the problem. Because who those pitchers are and where you are to take them, that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, like if the board gives you exceptional value with two bats in the first two rounds because everybody in front of you was more aggressive than usual pitching, you take the two great bats and say, yeah, I agree. I all right, agree. I'm going to figure out how to build with pitching. If there's one really good pitcher there and one great hitter there, then you split it. Like the, I just think the best players can build and know how to build with any one of those foundations, and they recognize when there's plenty of value and when there's not. Right. I, I, I agree with with what you're saying. Um, I, I'll go through my TGFBI from this year. It's not it's not my best league. Uh, I find the NFPC, I really miss trading. Like I, I need the, I'm doing really well in many of my other formats. Um, I'm going to have to improve in NFPC to, to get better at it. Um, but we went at the 12th slot. Um, we took Yelich at 12, which made sense at the time. I think, I mean, story was still there. Darvish was still there. And I wasn't getting near Darvish this year. Bellinger was still there. Bueller was still there. Uh, Bauer, Freddie Freeman, and and then so we went Yelich, Giolito, so twelve and like seventeen, sixteen, whatever. Seven, no, uh, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and then Tim Anderson when it came back around at thirty-seven or no, uh, forty-two, and then Glass now at forty-nine, and then the worst pick of all time is Eugenio Suarez because that's my least favorite player of all time. It's just my absolute least favorite player. I hate him. <laughs> just don't, just can't, can't stand him. In fact, dropped him last week just because I could. And I was like, screw it, I'm dropping him. Um, and then Javier Baez, and then Byron Buxton, then Anthony Rizzo, then Travis Darneau, uh, which was didn't work out, and then Craig Kimbrell, which did work out till it didn't, then Gary Sanchez, which has worked out, then Rich Rodriguez, which worked out till it didn't, then Chris Bassett, then Andres Jimenez, then Shohei Otani in the 15th round. And then Christian, which I got him everywhere in the 14th, 15th round, because that's when he was going. Christian Javier, Aaron Hicks, Jared Walsh in the 18th, Oda Rizzi in the 19th, Jock Peterson in the 20th, Jamer Candelario in the 21st, Corey Dickerson 22nd, Madison Bumgarner 23rd, and so on. And then there was really, and then Wainwright, I did draft Wainwright. We did draft Wainwright in the 29th round. Um, but so you know, I mean, it's it's it, it's a little early for us to be looking at this stuff, and we but I, and I'm really looking forward to in October, November, December, and January, February, March, really looking at this stuff. But you know, it's a it's a, it's a nondalist show, so we're we're kind of taking it where we want to go, and uh, and that's where that's where that's where it's gone. So yes, okay, I, I agree with you. Actually, I think that it's your best bet is to get as much value as you can, and if you trust yourself to build. You can build. 
and then you can come back. <laughs> well, I think there's a, a few other wrinkles here. I mean, like, okay, so in my, I was talking about a different team in my league that had that Cole Scherzer build. I had the 11th pick. And you mentioned, you know, Yelich being probably the right pick at the time. I would say if Yelich were there for me at 11, he went one pick before me, I would have happily taken Yelich over Jose Ramirez. Ramirez is just the best hitter that fell to where I was at. So sure I, I lucked good. into the better player. Like I, if you said both were available, who did you want? It would have been Yelich. So I would have been wrong. I, I would have been the victim of my own poor analysis of the player in this case. Was that the case if you took you Darvish in two this year? Because for a while, for most of the season, it looked like that was a good idea. Like if I asked you that question on the fourth of July, you Darvish in the second round, good idea? You'd have said, yeah, he's got a two sixty five ERA and a point nine five whip, and he's striking a ton of guys out. And the Padres are going to the playoffs, so he's going to win a lot of games. What's the problem? And then the last two months have happened. He's got a seven twenty ERA and a one twenty nine whip during that span. Yep. And now we're asking questions. I think it was Jeff Erickson on Twitter who put this out there and said, how far does Darvish fall now? And it's like, well, I mean, two months ago, we were brilliant for taking Darvish early in round two, and now we're we're idiots for taking him. It's like, well, okay, there's a, a group of why questions that we need to answer between now and next season to really have a firm grasp on this. A, is he a guy that because of the sticky stuff, crackdown was less effective? I that might be do, it. it. It could be it, but I, I'm not necessarily pinning it on that. B, is he completely healthy? I think we know more about that not being the case. They have a clear need for innings right now. I mean, they're, they need starters in the worst way to be healthy and effective. So if you said Darvish was pitching at 50 to 60% health for the last two months, I'm not going to fight you on that statement. I'm going to say, yeah, he probably was because if he didn't pitch, who are they going to throw out there every fifth day? Anyway, we have to factor all that in. Health is still a part of the story. He's giving up lots of home runs. I think it's it's always hard to answer these. Was I right in my analysis? Was I right in my process? I think hitter-pitcher this year worked out a little better than pocket aces because of factors that were out of our control in general. But yeah. it doesn't mean that pocket aces won't work in the future. Right, because if someone went Cole and Scherzer, they're in really good shape. Yeah, the I mean, Cole that, Scherzer that, thing that, that would have worked. Be, that team has to be a top-five team, right? Within the 15-team TGFBI league yes. that we're in? Yeah. Uh, let me take a look. I'm pretty sure that team's doing well. That's Frank Amarante, which, again, I just brought up his team because it went pitcher-pitcher. Yeah, he's one spot ahead of me. He's in fourth. Right. Yeah, I mean, because that when you hit that way, and we missed on our first two picks in Yelich and Giolito, it is interesting to to look and see, like, how do you recover from things like that? Like, speaking of recovery, Tout Wars, I spoke on the show a number of weeks ago about how, like, things are going ridiculous in labor, so great. It's, like, sailing along, still sailing along, looking great. But Tout Wars, I was saying that, like, Tout Wars is keeping me up at night. Well, now, Tout Wars has come come to daddy because I my, my goal was to finish in uh, – at the at the top of the second tier, and now you and I are in the in in a similar spot. We're in seventh and eighth place together, um, but coming from where I was coming from in thirteenth or fourteenth place, it's it's like the first thing I'm looking at every morning is all right. Where where am I now in Tower Wars? Because I just I you know I didn't want to finish in those bottom three spots because you lose Fab and everything else. And as we said, as you said many times, we're going to continue to rise in September when other teams are not paying nearly as much attention. Are you, find, are you finding that as well? Yeah, I've had some weeks where I started to creep up. My offense is putrid in that league. And I think that's a team where 
when I do the autopsy on, on my Tout Wars roster, I'm going to find plenty of mistakes in the build. I, I've acknowledged recently. You got trouted, though. You I got, got trouted. Yeah, if you if you go Stars and Scrubs, which carries its downside, you know, that we are, we're well aware of anyway, and you lose Trout for most of the season, good luck. I mean, that's a, a 20% share of your auction budget, pretty much, going to one player. Yeah. And the, the stupid thing is, when he first got hurt, I don't know if I talked about it on the show with you or if this was just something I was kicking around on my own. I thought, maybe I redeem him for fab because then I got the fab hammer every week all summer. And if he comes back later, you know, great. Someone else is going to outbid me for him because I won't be able to save all that money to get him back. But at least I'll be able to upgrade this mediocre offense that I built. Aside from the trout injury luck, though, like it's easy to look at a team like where you have a major player go down and say, oh, that's why I lost. I lost for other reasons in that league. Like there are other things I did clearly wrong on my Tout Wars team. And it, it kind of comes back to the, the way I like to play not being the smartest way to play. Being aggressive and buying all the players I want and going stars and scrubs, you can win that way. It's a high-variance build. I think you generally want to build more solid teams throughout. The way you talked about building your labor team, which has done so well this year, was having balance everywhere, right? It was something you and Ariel yeah. talked about. Like the way Ariel plays is really smart. That's a great way to build teams. And I just need to adjust the aggressiveness knob on the the rosters I build. I think I've been too aggressive for too long, and the 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 success I've had doing it has probably kept me on the strategy longer than I should have been on well, the strategy. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you you've been pretty darn successful, dude. It's not like you're you know it's not like you're not remarkably successful, but. I am not a fan of the Stars and Scrubs for just the very reason you said. Um, you lose Trout for the season, you're you're behind the eight ball, man. I mean, it's it's a really tough spot to be in because you can't win. You can't find a way to fix it. I, I, th- at least that's been my my experience. I rather spread for years. I would rather spread guys out in the high teens and low twenties on in a fifteen team mixed as opposed to spend the forty five dollars on a player. Because in, 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 I mean, I just had bad, I, bad injury luck. I, I spent $35 on Shane Bieber and thinking to myself for in Tout Wars and thinking to myself, I just stole Shane Bieber. Well, I just lost the season partially because of that. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a I, I don't know. And even that team, the pitchers that I have now are not the pitchers that I started with. On that team, it's Carlos Hernandez, Michael Givens, Luis Heal. Tristan McKenzie, who was a pickup. Kyle Gibson, who was a pickup. Nestor Cortez. This is my starting rotation. Nestor Cortez, Jake Gordarizzi, <laughs> Liam Hendricks, and Eduardo Rodriguez. Those are the only two players that are in my lineup right now that were in my original draft. It's just how, you know, it's just how it goes. I'd rather not spend the big money on on the big on the big players. I, I don't know. I, I I could be wrong about that, but that's my that's that's seems to be my vibe and the way that I like to play. And it works out well overall. I think part of it also in an auction strategy is you have to think about what the rest of the room is doing. And I think the the value of stars and scrubs starts to go down as more and more people utilize it because mm-hmm. you're chasing the same players. You know, the the pay a couple bucks extra for Trout at the top or a few years ago if it was Goldschmidt or Altuve or whoever it was. I could always justify it when it was only like two to three bucks above the actual value. Now it's more like five plus. Yeah, because what did Acuna go for? Like $53 or something? 
It was a lot. And I, I'm looking back at, at my roster. I mean, okay, so Jose Ramirez at 44, great. If he's your most expensive player, you did fine. Right. Pairing, and pairing him- I, I was fighting you for him up until I went up to $39 for him because I had just bought him in labor and he's been great. And I was like, you know what? I think Jose Ramirez is really valuable to get a third baseman who can steal you bases in this way and hit for average and hit for power. I mean, he he's he's unique in, in that ability. But then when it went up, when it tipped up past that, it was like, no, I can't. I'm not going to do that because it's going to cost me later. Yeah. And I think it was just one too many big ticket players because putting him with Trout was too much. If I just had one of them and Trout had stayed healthy and I took the rest of that money and spread it out over the, the mediocre players in the roster, the, the scrubs, as you will, that just didn't come through, those spots all would have been better because everybody else was spending pretty aggressively for the most part. So yes, the value later on, aggr- I would have captured more of that late value. I would that have had more kicks at the can value. in the, the 7 to $10 range, and that's where I would have done a lot better instead of being in the, the 5 and under group for the most part. Uh, going back to Ariel there, though, Ariel has this interesting thing that he said to me recently. He's like, I kind of want to do his voice, but Nando's not here, so I'm not going to do it. But he, he was basically saying that it's the boring players that make the difference over the course of mm-hmm. the season. Oh, and, yeah, that's something that Dave Potts has said for years, too. And if you said, who's the best fantasy baseball player on the planet? Dave Potts is probably that guy. Well, you know, that's debatable because some people think, <laughs> sorry, couldn't help myself. <laughs> couldn't help myself. Um, but uh, I, I'm coming around to it, too. I mean, on the on the makeup of the uh, the AL labor team, it's it's all it's all value. The whole thing is value. It's just all like, okay, get the guy at the right price and know, know your players. I think that's what, when I do my autopsy of the, uh, of the AL labor, it's all just, I understood what I thought the values were for the players. And I really did stick to them. You know, I didn't overpay for a guy that I really, really wanted. There are guys, there are guys on this team that I, I didn't, that aren't my guys, but I, I got them at the price, you know, Hunter Renfro for $9 in AL labor. I wasn't looking for Hunter Renfro, but I had him as a $12 player. So at $9, I'm going to take him. And he's turned into like a $23 player, almost $22 player, something like that. Um, similar with Cedric Mullins. I was on Cedric Mullins. I paid $3 for him in AL labor. Don't go, you know, I was going to go a little higher, but those are lucky. Those are lucky. Some of the other guys, though, I had a big conversation with Cushing about Jose Ramirez. That's what it was. So I'm just remembering this now. Right before the Tout Wars draft, I said to him, I was like, I actually think Jose Ramirez is worth spending for. And he was like, well, I mean, how much are you going to spend, Ian? And I was like, well, I paid 39 for him in AL labor. I think I would go up to 40 or 41. He's like, you can't. You can't go to 40. Because you're not getting the value for him, right? And it turns out I think you are getting the value for him, and and it it would have been uh, he's he's played for you in 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 Tout Wars, right? He's helped you tremendously, right? The spending forty four on Jose Ramirez was a a good choice for sure, based on everything else. I'm looking at the order in which the players came off the board. Oh, you I bought have the that. first two players. I have Hater at twenty, which has been right. great. Ramirez at forty four, great. And if, if I just go into hey, shut your mouth to get some mid range value mode, I'm great. But instead. Soto goes to Michael Rathburn for 42, like a dozen or so more players go. Trout's sitting there, and I'm like, Trout can't go for less than Soto. You know, no, he can. Someone could have had him at 50, and it would have been fine. If I just lay off on Trout. Wait a minute, Soto went for 42? 52. 
Oh, 52. Okay, I was going to say, like 42. I, I can't believe I would have let that go at 42. 52. Yeah, he, went, is, he went for 52, and it couldn't I mean, go for 51. T- so I thought Trout, in an OBP league, deserved to be right with those guys because of the impact he sure. makes in every category but steals. I agree with that. He he. Well, he, he should be in the... And what did you pay for Trout? 51, which from a pure number standpoint isn't wrong, but from a build standpoint... It is wrong because I already had... Who was my first buy? Who was my first buy there? You had Liam Hendricks at 23. Nice. Good. Yeah. He's been helpful. And that was... But that wasn't right away. That wasn't first round, right? Like I sat... I feel like I sat for a little bit. Nope. You got him. He was the sixth player nominated. There you go. I'm sure I remember it perfectly well. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is one of the things I really like about the the Rotowire draft software and some of the uh, actual auction platforms out there will show you the order in which the players were sold because you can run back through and kind of recreate in your mind. Like, what was the problem I was thinking about? What was going through my head when I did this? Because you probably don't remember. Is there a link for that? Where, where's the link for that? Where do you find that? Well, I just clicked into the software. So I'll I'll export the draft for you if it will uh, Well, I mean, I'll look, I, I mean, because I'm sure that there are going to be things that we notice. I'm like, wow, look at that. Because it, it, I think you're right. Because going back and looking at that to understand how it all happened is very valuable. It's really helpful. To, to go back and, and and see what the thought process was going into it. But I, I do, I remember we, I, I discussed this with you after the draft. I was just like, because you and, it was you and Brett and Sarah, and there was one other player who was doing it too, who was stirring and scrubbing, wasn't there? Yeah, at least one other person was doing that pretty consistently throughout. It might have been Siege. It was definitely, yeah. definitely Brett. Brett and I were building Brett, a team yes. that was too similar where we're like, hey, let's get the prospect types for five bucks and under and hope they all hit with the stars and it'll, it'll work out great and it's like I, I i've gone i've gone too far with it i i know i've gone too far with it so that's definitely a broader tactical change that i want to make and i think you can look back at all your teams you can look at the way you finished in certain categories and you might find that mm-hmm. you build a bunch of teams that were light on speed or you built a bunch of teams that didn't score enough runs you drove in runs and you hit home runs you didn't score enough runs because you didn't have a good balance of top of the order guys versus middle of the order guys like there's any number of things you might find. You might not find one pattern across multiple leagues. You might not find the same pattern over multiple years, but going back through the results, looking back at the decisions you made, trying totally. to figure out if there's a consistent error, that's worth the time. Like and You For can do sure. that even on good teams. Your good teams were good. Why were your good teams good? What, what could have made your good teams better? What could have made your good teams the best team you've ever built if you'd just done X and Y and Z different? And I'm not saying you know, beat yourself up if you didn't win the league by 30. I'm saying figure out how you could have possibly won the league by 30 because maybe you can go out and do that next year. Yes. I, look, I've, I've built the best team I've ever had probably, I think. I think this is the best redraft team I've ever had in labor, and I'm planning on trying to find a way to, to do more of it as I move forward. It Just be being less keen on specific guys, which sounds weird, but again, going back to Ariel's point of view, it's not about who's going to be a star for your team. It's about a guy who's going to get you a lot across the board. Like someone like David Fletcher is not interesting. There's no fun in, in drafting David Fletcher. It's not fun, but it's valuable because he's going to help you in stolen bases. He's going to help you in runs and he's going to help you in batting average. And those are tough categories to fill. 
then you got to find your home runs elsewhere, but everything else will balance out. It's all about finding that balance so that everything works as opposed to there, there have been times. And, and I think I run into this with NFBC. There are times when I can't, and I can't trade my way out of it. That's the problem. Like I like to be able to trade my way out of a problem and you can't. So there'll be times where there's a team that Cushing and I put together literally was the night before the season. And we were like, let's do it. Should we do it? Let's just do it. And we did like a draft on, you know, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't a slow draft. It was a fast draft. And we have like the best hitting of all time and just not nearly enough pitching. And that's, that's the, that's the, that's the kind of thing that you got to learn from and, and sort of say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make that same mistake next year. And then you over, you know, then you overdo it and you get too much pitching. It's, it's hard to figure out. It, it really is. It's, it's part of the, part of the joy of the game because you can't, you know, I'm going to, I feel like, oh, I'm king of the world. Look at me. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to play an AL labor next year. I'm going to come in 11th. <laughs> you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bet on the, um, the better than eleventh finish, if I can, if I can get that, it's probably like you know minus two thousand. So I have to, <laughs> to wager a lot to win a little, but I, I think you'll finish above eleventh next year, even if you uh, don't crush quite as much as you did this year. Uh, you know, I think all of that was uh, a response to where should we draft you, Darvish, next year? I don't know if that means we both don't want to answer that question. Here's what I'll say about you, Darvish. I again, and I end up trading for him in a league. I I, I traded Jeff, you, Darvish. At the beginning of the season, Steve and I, Steve Gardner and I traded Jeff Erickson. Do you remember this trade? It was the night of the draft. We traded him Yu Darvish and Michael Lorenzen, who was just like, I think I picked, we picked in the seventh round for him, for his uh, his first round pick in that year in that draft, Brennan Davis, and his first round pick in next year's draft. So it turned out to be, um, hold on, let me just figure out what it was, for Darvish, because he was in competition mode. And we were we came into the season going we're going to um, we're going to kind of toss this year in. I mean we're still playing. You and I are fighting it out there too. We got Garrett Mitchell with our first round pick, Brennan Davis, and then we've got the well, looking like the third pick in the draft in this coming year's thing. I didn't. I wanted to get rid of you, Darvish, off my team so bad. I think the part of the reason is I hate watching him pitch. He takes too long between pitches. It just drives me crazy. And going into this week, Wilson Caraman and I are competing in Devil's Rejects, and we're competing for strikeouts. And I was like, "Do we we have to pitch Darvish? He's got a two start week. We've got to pitch him." What does he do last night? Because of eight runs in like four innings. Ah, oh, just devastating. I'm just devastating. So where does Darvish go? Not on my team. I'll tell you that. Where does Darvish go? How how far does he have to fall for you to take the chance on him? So here's the lesson I think we were taught with Darvish this year. Darvish was coming off of the best ratios of his career in 2020. It was only 76 innings, right? 60 the, games. Yeah. So the thing that he showed us was that he still had the improved control. And he's carried that even through this disappointing 2021, right? He's still got a sub 6% with his walk rate. This is still a much better version of Darvish than the versions him, we've good. seen before. The yes. K rate's back down to where it was prior to... 2019 and 2020, right? Under 30%, still good. He's got the home run problem back. He had a home run problem in 2018. He had a home run problem in 2019. He has a home run problem again in 2021. That's just part of who he is. So I think we all, myself included, I took Darvish and TGFBI in the second round. Big mistake. Early part of round two. Shouldn't have done that. I put too much stock into Petco and the team context and the ratios from the shortened season. That was a mistake. That's a recency bias mistake. 
I think we tend to overcorrect as a market, all of us. Like we tend to yep, overreact right. to the good and overreact to the bad. It's kind of like the the Alcantara thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's probably right going to push up too high, and Darvish is probably going to go a little bit too low. So I'm not going to say that I'm out on Darvish because I was wrong about him and reached for him this year. It's tempting to do that. I think past versions of me playing this game would have said, screw that, I'm not on Darvish. I think if you go back and look at the projections and you see a high 3 ZRA and a 112, 115 sort of whip and lots of strikeouts, and that's where your expectation is, he's probably going to get drafted a bit later than someone who does that, in part because he's old, too. He just turned yeah, he 35. Is. He's, so He's going to, yes. So wear and tear and all the concerns we have about him, I think those are you know real. Uh, but to to an extent, I think they're going to be a little bit overblown based on how this season is finished. It's so pick I'm, number 75, Derek Van Riper. You are on the clock. You have a pitcher, but it's the end of the fifth round, and you're at the wheel. Uh, at, the, at that spot, you're going to have two picks in a row. Darvish is sitting there at pick 75, 76. Are you taking him? And I've probably got one pitcher already, assuming yep. we're in that spot, I'm right? assuming you got one pitcher already. Snap answer, I think I would take him in that range. I think that's about a fair price for what I'm expecting to get from him coming in the 2022 season. So the other guys who are in that area code are Hunjin Ryu from, from this past year, Max Fried and Jose Berrios makes perfect sense based on the ratios I threw out there that we're expecting from Darvish, right? Like that's kind mm-hmm. of what you get in that range. I'm okay with that. I think that's a fair place for Darvish to go. If he doesn't fall that far, okay, then he didn't fall far enough. The, the, there's one other guy I want to talk about. Um, Aaron Judge. You, you said earlier in the show here that you thought he had a monster season. He has had a monster season. How high does he end up next year? Because last year he was being taken in the middle of the fourth, probably around 52, 53. Where does he go now? Oh, and mostly healthy a, season, mostly healthy season. Oh, we got really good feedback about the shows in, in general that when we're talking about players and rounds, we should switch to overall pick range because that way it scales better to a 10 or a 12 or a 15. Sounds team good. League. Sounds good. Which is kind of just like resetting names. That's that's really good feedback, by the way. All feedback is feedback is helpful, so we do appreciate it. And we appreciate you listening, especially in September when everyone else is listening to fantasy football. You're still sick of us. Good job, yeah. Here, here. Like if you're listening to September fantasy baseball podcasts, we're friends. Like there's there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Judge, wow. I I think Judge is probably going to be a top thirty overall player. Mm-hmm. Because everyone loves the park, everyone loves the team context, everyone loves the quality of the of the bat, and I think projections love Aaron Judge too. That was why I was on Judge at the discount this year. I thought for the projection, I'm getting at least 15 to 20 picks of surplus value. He should be going earlier. And I think this goes back to what we were saying, the recency bias and possibly an overcorrection, it could push him a little bit too high. So he's going to go right on that borderline where You know, if I've got a, let's say I've got a a pitcher and I've got a a good balanced player that does a little bit of everything and I want to just bring it home in the early part of of round three, I guess this would be that I'm thinking about in like a 12 or a 15 team league, I'm in in that circumstance. If he's going to push up higher than that and he's my first hitter in some leagues, that's probably just a tick more than I'm willing to pay for Judge looking ahead to next season. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're probably in the right ballpark. I think you can get him in the second. If you want him around 26, 20, if you want him in the middle second beyond, you can get him, right? If you want to take him instead of Machado, 
that kind of idea. You know, I mean, because LeMahieu was going to 34, Eloy 35. All right, I'm I'm down with that. I'm I don't, down with that. I don't even know where that comes from. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you about one other guy who I, I kind of just don't get it. Louis Robert. Mm. I mean, are we supposed to believe this? Robert. I, I, I mean, I'm over for the season on Robert. I don't have him anywhere. He got hurt. Obviously, that changes a lot about, you know, people's expectations for him game-wise. We're now looking at less than a full season's worth of plate appearances. And the body of work is impressive. A 290 average combined in two seasons, a 341 OBP, a 488 slug. It's interesting to me that he's cut the Ks as quickly as he has, but he's also lost some walks. I think I'll make that trade, though. You know, from a, a Sabre standpoint, you're frustrated that he's not walking as much. I, I don't care as much about walks in a typical league that uses average. You know, that's right. a good lineup. Sure, sure, sure. He hits the ball really hard. So if he's going to hit the ball more often, I'm here for it. The stolen base rate this season, I think, is probably yes. a little more sustainable long term. If you're going to pencil him in for 15 bags annually, I think you're kind of giving yourself a more fair expectation. I think it all comes down to what you think he's going to do for batting average. And the the difference between the two seasons is stark. Do you split it in down the middle? Do you split it and err on the side of some contact issues, maybe keeping him more in the 260 range? Like if he's 260 with 25 homers, 15 steals, and a great combination of runs and RBIs, like 200 plus combined across those two categories, that's a great player, right? Yeah, that is. It's a great player. Do you prefer that profile to the added power that you get from Judge? Also, I think Judge with the batting average probably not hitting 293 again over a full season. That, I don't know, man. I mean, but the K rate's down, so it's, it's it's not impossible. He's he's so great. He's such a great guy to watch watch play baseball. Um, yeah, Louis Robert. I, I bet Robert goes ahead of Judge next year because of the speed. Although Judge has stolen some bases now. He's I think he's probably up to five or six. Yeah, six for season. seven. He runs a little. He's always yeah, run he a does. little. He's, yeah, he's, but he's, he's a non-zero he's, steals guy, and I think that that plays. He's also great. I mean, he's just such a great leader for that team. He's very much the captain of that team at this point. And um, one one other side note that isn't a player or anything else. I, I have sort of grew up playing the game over the course of the last 10 years, largely average leagues. Well, now I'm playing more OBP leagues than I've ever played before. I don't want to play average leagues anymore. I want to play OBP. It's a totally different game. And, and what you're looking for in players is actually, I think, more appropriate for baseball. Like one thing we were talking about with you have on the rundown about Javier Baez, that he, he's more valuable in fantasy average leagues than he may be on the field, though his glove is, is pretty, pretty, pretty special. Um, he certainly makes special plays. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of all in on OBP. Like if, I, if we were ever to start that second, that, that dynasty league that we're talking about. I think OBP is the way to go. Where are you on this now? I can happily play in either type of league, but I'm, if I'm building a league from scratch, I'm more likely to use OBP than average. Like if I'm in the commissioner seat or if it's just a vote. World's best commissioner. The commissioner says, hey, you know, how do you guys want to play? Y- y'all want to play with average or OBP? Let's vote. I'd vote for OBP, but am I going to take my ball and go home if it's average? No, of course not. Yeah, I I might. I I and not that I'll take my ball and go home, but I'm 
I really like this OBP experience because one of the sad things is if a guy walks on your team, it feels bad if you're in an average league. It's like, no, don't walk. And it's like, that shouldn't be what it is. Watching Aaron Judge, I own him in two OBP leagues, in Devil's Rejects and in XFL. We traded Keston Hero for Aaron Judge before the season um, in XFL. And that, watching him walk is like thrilling to me. I just love it because <laughs> it's like it, it takes all the anxiety away. It's like, well, there you go. You just hey, you're on base. Whoop. And it brings value to a baseball team to get on base. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just all in on OBP now. I really am. I think it's uh, it's super, super duper fun. Is there anything else on this rundown that we got to hit before we uh, oh, should we talk about Glaber? Moving to second base? We could probably get to Glaber on a few. I've talked about him on a few other shows. Okay. I've talked about him on the Athletic Baseball show a couple of times just from a, a real-life standpoint. I guess what it comes down to for me is I don't know if he's a Yankee next year, Ian. I think he's a guy they can flip to a team that has an excess of pitching. I think it's even come up as kind of a, hey, that pipeline between you know Miami and the Bronx is alive and well. And wouldn't a, a Glaber, Jazz Chisholm, middle infield look nice in Miami and, and wouldn't sure. one of those extra pitchers they might have for the Marlins look really good in the Bronx? I mean, I said on the show two weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, that Glaber Torres is just not a championship shortstop. You're not going to win a championship with Glaber Torres as a shortstop. And then he proved it over the weekend against the Mets, and I think that was it. And the they just said, you're done at shortstop. And there was a moment in the game last night where Tyler Wade had started at shortstop. They bring Gio Urshela into the game. And this was one spot where I was like, all right, now you're pushing it. Like, I don't think this is the right move. They had Torres at second, Gio Urshela at short, and DJ LeMahieu at third. So they had three guys out of position just to keep Glaber Torres from playing shortstop. That's how bad a shortstop he is. That is not ideal. That is not ideal. So I, 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 I'd be fine. Trade him away. I'm, not a, I'm just not a huge Glaber Torres fan. Um, and as a Yankee fan, I, I, I wish him well. I hope he has a great rest of the season. I hope they make the playoffs somehow and he hits, but maybe moving back to second, we'll give him that. And, uh, and that, that, that's about it. Yeah, that's, that, that's about it. Yeah. Fresh start for him would be a good thing. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, we've talked a lot about some late season arms. Like we've talked about Joe Ryan and AJ Alexi and Glenn Otto. And those guys are sort of new because they just got called up in the last few weeks, but then there's Eric Lauer, and I mean, I watch the Brewers a lot. I've listened to more games on the radio than I've watched this year because of the move and being just constantly doing stuff, trying to set up my life out here. But I'm wondering if he's another Brewers pitching lab riser, like just from the outside looking at it. I think I'm too close to the problem to be completely objective about it. Do you have any interest in Eric Lauer as a, a guy that actually does have some pedigree and seems to be making some adjustments in Milwaukee? I mean, look at his ratios. Over 100 innings this year now, a 310 ERA, a 116 whip, and 99 Ks. Nine so strikeouts, yeah. It all looks I mean, pretty good from the outside. What's the, well, I ask you, what's the downside? The downside is that they shuttle him in and out of the rotation, and he's kind of a like a bulk reliever for them, which, you know, whatever. It's not the worst thing in the world, but... I'm just wondering if I've underestimated his ceiling. This is a career best K rate in terms of K percentage and you know K per nine last year was better, but it's only 11 innings and yeah, it's kind of garbage anyway, but the home run rates down, the walk rates, not bad. And the K rate is up and the pitch mix is changing more cutters, just kind of adjusting and adjusting and adjusting. What and, is that? What is the velocity with him now? It's never been like the calling card for him, but it is up a tick 92.5 on the fastball, which is a career high for him. Usually he's about a tick less than that. Yeah. I mean, 
you he's certainly he's like one of those boring players that we're going to be talking about over the season that you can get for seven dollars instead of getting somebody for two dollars. It's it seems to me, but I, I actually have to defer to you as the as the Brewer fan because I, I picked up Eric Lauer in GDD. Uh, Robert Mershak and I picked oh, picked him up in GDD and we rode him for a little while for a few weeks and he was pretty good. And then somehow we got we had a roster crunch and we had to let him go. That's got to be one of the hardest parts about fantasy baseball is letting guys go and then seeing them sort of explode on another team like Logan Webb in Maki, the league oh. that we playing together. I had we had Logan Webb on our team. By the way, that's at some point we're gonna we're gonna tell everybody where like that these that league is just insane. That that's gonna be like the last three weeks. It's just gonna be who's gonna win it. Who knows? It's gonna be either me, you, or Eisner. Maybe Schlain. I doubt it. But it's as yeah, it tight be. as it can be. Tight tight as a drum is what this thing is. It's crazy. Logan Webb is among the Tout Wars mistakes. I got him in Fab on April 1st for $57 out of a $1,000 budget. Good job, DVR. That was good. And then uh, a month later, uh, or by the end of the month, I released him. Because he was hurt. He was like, he was hurt and struggling, wasn't he? He went on the IL. He came back. And I think he maybe got hit in his first start back. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, it's That's not what happened. Work. That's what happened to me and Maki. I, I got him in that. Yep, and I bailed after that start. He comes off the IL, so you can stash him. Well, actually, in that league, maybe that was why. Maybe because there's no IL in that league that we had to let him go. Yeah, that probably was what it was. But then when he came back and he blew up, I was like, ah, it's not so bad. And now he's Logan freaking Webb, and our friend is or Cross has him as a top 20 starter going into next season. And and he's not wrong. I mean, he's not wrong about that. Who are you taking, Logan Webb at 75 or you Darvish at 75 next year? <laughs> How about that toss up Darvish, but I'm thinking about Webb there for sure. I, I mm-hmm. think he's a legitimate riser. I mean, I think it's in some ways it's a profile. I've, I've compared him to Dallas Keuchel from the right side because it, it's some strikeouts. It's good control and it's a lot of ground balls. And I think it's actually pretty sustainable for Webb where we could see him as a, a dark horse NL Cy Young candidate in 2022. Yeah, I you you certainly can. We certainly certainly can. Well, we got we're going to have a lot more of this over the course of the next uh many months and it really is actually in some ways I'm going to miss the baseball of it, but the really figuring out and talking about the players is a really fun time to be a baseball fan. Fantasy baseball fan. I love digging into the mistakes that I made because I, I want to get better. I I want to get better and I want to help other people get better too. We can learn from these mistakes. So, it's always a fun time of year to talk about baseball all the time. It's kind of like a Badger Bob Johnson. It's a great day for hockey. That applies any day that there's hockey, but it's a great day for fantasy baseball. Just kind of channeling a uh, fellow Badger. But we got to go for the man who limited himself to one use of the Ariel Cone voice because <laughs> Nando wasn't here. Thank you, my friends. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you on Thursday. It's not going to be a bad time. Now, see you then soon. Bye. Good talk. Good talk.